3: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heapy Podcast. I'm your host, John Carlo Navas. And with me today, the producer and co-founder, Mr. Brian Gwens. Brian, that's us you talk and say hi. Yeah, okay, you're, you're a step slow. Well, I, I, I have the situation where my dog's actually playing with his toys. So I'm trying to, like, meet myself, too. I'm, doing, I'm doing a Harrison's. doing Is that today. code? That sounds like a bunch of excuses to me. Sounds like a bunch of excuses. Uh, we're moving on. Uh, Alex, professional screw-up Alex Toledo. He's the one with excuses, but not today. On time, ready to go. What's going on Alex here we're out here and we have our heat Twitter president Alf What's up Chilling, chilling. and today's guest Mr. Mike Wallace uh, Mike welcome to the program of the Mike uh, what are you of of the Memphis Grizzlies
1: Yeah I'm a, a grind city media uh, senior editor and analyst with the Grizzlies it's a long title but we don't even have to worry about titles man I'm just I'm just one of the fellas today talking about the Miami Heat and the NBA so that's He's all Mike I going to Wallace.
3: Long time, man. Mike, how how long did you work down here? Ten years, man. I was there for ten
1: years. I was there from uh, the Shack and Dwayne Wade uh, uh, water gun parade after the two thousand six title, um, all the way through twenty sixteen. So two years after LeBron left, man. So yeah, you know. basically, my time was from there to there. All three titles. I'm glad that I was there to see it.
3: So Mike Wallace joins us on the Heat Beat podcast, part of the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Check out our slew of affiliate shows like the Five Reasons. Um, flagship show three yards per carry balls cast pitch invasion and so much more on the way we know oj mcduffie has a show that's coming on so check that out at five reasons sports on twitter and on instagram ethan skolnick and chris whittingham two longtime media members down here in south florida so wait we've
2: we've sucked since mike left so it's mike's fault
3: <laughs> mike no, your no, fall, no no, no. technically
1: technically <laughs> The Heat sucked right before I left. (laughs) No, actually, they were in the playoffs. They were in the playoffs. So they also sucked while I was there, too. I was there for the worst (laughs) season in Heat history and the best season in Heat history. So I covered both of
3: them. Mike, give us You're about to get a phone call from Tim Donovan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's the truth, though, man. I mean, you know, I was there. As a matter of fact, I tell Ethan and, and the guys all the time, man, my... My most, and it wasn't rewarding, but my most fascinating season, even with all the LeBron stuff and the Big 3 stuff we'll get into, uh, You know, was, was that 15-67 and 67 season for me. And that was Pat Riley's last year and all the chaos that went into that season, man. And, you know, there were stories every single day from, I believe that was the Smush Parker experiment year. Yes! You know, you guys probably forgot about that. I can, you know, never, I can, never, Pat I can never forget. Can talk about that year. <laughs> kicking the door and blowing out his knee and his hip, and he had to leave for surgery. Rothstein took over for 20 games. I was getting cussed out by Gary Payton towards the end of that season. <laughs> I mean, it was a whole lot of stuff going on, man. It was, it was great.
3: That's like a lot of hey, care. Why was Gary Payton cussing you out for?
1: Well, because it, when I first got on the beat, man, he said that I hadn't earned the right to ask him questions yet. So he used to make <laughs> Chris Perkins. He used to he used to tell me to tell Chris Perkins my questions uh, to ask him. <laughs> so, so this whole charade goes on for a little while, man, because I have ultimate respect for GP. And uh, you know, I I loved him, you know, from afar when I when I was watching him and then to finally get to cover him at the end of his season. You know, I was he was crazy. So I was a little bit I, I feared him a little bit, but then we sort of worked that out, man. But uh he also cussed me out because he claims that the zoo when the uh well not the zoo, but the uh the circus came in. And stole his therapeutic chair from American <laughs> Airlines Arena. Wait, what? Uh, for the elephant? What? Man, that's all kind of stuff, man. We can get into all. Wait, that. hold on. Wait, wait.
3: <laughs> what? Gary Payton had a what?
1: Because Gary Payton always had back issues, right? So he was older, and he was getting stretched out all the time, and you know, so those last couple of seasons in Miami, he had back problems and therapeutic problems. So the Heat uh, found a way to get him some kind of medicated. Stool chair, so he wouldn't have to sit down and put all the pressure on his back. He sort of set up a little bit, and he claimed that it got lost when the circus came in the town. Uh, Barnum and Bailey Circus came in the American Airlines Arena. He claimed that they stole the chair and used it for the elephants or, or some kind of show or whatever, and he never found the chair again. So when 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 they, when I checked that story out with the heat trainers. They were like, "Man, Gary Payton is a fool for saying that." No, that that's not that hasn't happened. He probably did something with it. So I went back to GP. I was like, "Dude, the trainers are saying your chair story is a hoax." I mean, what's then, man? I got the Fake most news. the most mfers. You know, mfers this, mf that, and you ain't no reporter. Reporter would have found my chick. Man, he cursed me out big time, man. And then afterwards, we dapped up, laughed it off, and, and, and called the occasion Black Sunday. So anytime you see <laughs> Ethan, Perk, Shandell, any of the guys down there, ask them about Black Sunday because that's when only the black beat writers used to cover the heat. They had to work on Sundays because everybody else had the day off. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, my God. That's the name of the podcast episode. Black Sunday. <laughs> Mike Wallace of Grind City Media. Did you call Gary Payton a liar to his face?
1: I said, man, I heard, I said the trainers the are trainers. telling you are lying. I had heard yeah, yeah. what I, I had heard was. To, yeah, you know, what that's I one heard of those
2: was, that's one of those people are saying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> people are saying you're lying, Gary. <laughs> but 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 think about that team, fellas. Think about that team, man. That team had I mean, it was, Davis. It was the, the, the championship, it was the championship defense team. So it started off with all intentions were good. They were supposed to go back and defend their title. So it started off with the Antoine Walkers, the James Poseys, the Jay Wills. About twenty five games into that season, it flew off the rail, and we ended up with Ricky Davis, Mark Blunt,
0: Penny Hardaway
1: had a sighting at the end of that. So at the end of that, Marcus season. Banks. Uh, yeah, Marcus Banks was there. Smush Parker was there. Man, it was all kind of guys. Man, I mean, Bono, Luke Jackson was there. It was it was all kind of dudes.
3: Eddie Jones, man. <laughs>
1: that's a respectable name, though.
3: That's a respect, but I mean, like. I don't think people realize this. Like, in the last, like, 10 years of Heat basketball, 15 years, like, the kinds of characters, I was talking about this with Ethan, because Ethan asked, uh, you know, he put it out to Five Reasons. He's like, who do you guys want? Who do you guys think would be a good storyteller for, for for the Heat stories that he does where he has different, you know, Miami Heat legends or whatever come on the show and tell stories? And I'm like, Ethan, I mean, we have guys like I mentioned, Gary Payton, Alonzo, Shaq. Dwayne, like LeBron, Bosh, Battier, Ray Allen, Eddie Jones, Chalmers, Chalmers, <laughs> uh, Lamar Odom. Like this team is... that's like this organization has had so many characters come like big, uh-huh. huge personalities come in and out. Like that's super cool for He fans that they've gone to like and you've covered like all of them. Like that's uh, that's super awesome. cool. Yeah. and and, and, and we
1: also yeah I about to say we also have
3: Michael Beasley.
1: You know we had the Smush Parker's roll through there. You know we had the Ronnie Torioffs run through Ronnie and the Chris So. You know, it's been it's been a roster that's been all over the Eddie map House? Right, when it comes to uh, yeah, Eddie House twice. Hey, hey, uh, uh, I said Smush before, but uh, Skip Ray for Austin. Yes, uh, I was I was about about say, hold on, wait, Ray wait, wait. Ray,
3: uh, Well, Mike, that's the Mike. mysterious
1: disappearance of I was about
3: to ask, <laughs> do we know what happened? That, like that, they traded for him midseason. They got him from Houston.
2: The statute, wait, Mike. Okay, before we go on, the statute of limitations is up on Skip to my loose stories. Like you can tell them now. Like, where okay. the hell did Ray for Austin go?
1: <laughs> the mob got him, man <laughs> <From what> I, <laughs> I can't tell you which player told me this i can't i can't give you that that that's not your limitation is still in because uh the fact is that player is still playing in the league, but I finally got to the I had to leave Miami to get to the bottom of what that story was, man, I like that yes his sister did have some yeah, his sister did have some uh some health issues, so that was legit. But there was also another uh, sort of Jordan-esque quality uh, to to why he had to step away from the game and the team at that time. So, you know, he had gotten into some some, some bad depth with some dudes, man, and, you know, it was, it was to the point where he had to go take care of some some family situations before it spun out of control, and uh, he left the team for that reason. So, wait, that all story. Oh, oh, that story.
3: wait, hold on. Yes. Walls, this, has wall. this been reported? Are we breaking news here? Like, guys giving us the goods. It's worse than Antoine <laughs> yeah, Walker's
1: hey, hey, hey. hey, you know what? That's another thing, too. Remember that, because Antoine, right before he got traded, he and Posey came back cutting out of shape. And uh, Pat Riley basically suspended those guys and they wouldn't cry to the league office and players association. But Walker was saying that his reason was he had some mental issues he was dealing with because he had just got duct taped and robbed in Chicago, you know, um, over that summer, you guys probably forgot about that, but that was, that was the summer that Eddie Curry got robbed in his house. um, And Antoine Walker also got robbed at gunpoint in their homes in Chicago. And uh, Walker came back and he was out of shape and his mind was not right. And Pat Riley suspended him and made him ride the exercise bike for like two straight <laughs> weeks at practice without getting on the court. Man.
2: Damn, Pat.
1: <laughs> Jesus. You no, know, you know what the best part about that story, what,
2: about what you just said is? Those guys got robbed at gunpoint in Chicago. People broke into UD's house while he wasn't home, saw it was UD's house and left. so so the amount of respect ud has compared to other players in the league is something else
1: oh no question about it man that's why he's the 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 mayor of the 305 man and and see he's the mayor of 305 when he was living in 954 you know
3: what i'm saying yeah
1: 561 so it was like ud got uh tri-county respect when it came to how he rode man no question about that
3: mike all dark alley team, only Miami Heat players. Because I'm, I'm like Udinas and James Johnson. I think for sure have to make it, and I think the rest is where it gets tough.
1: Oh wow, that's a great, that's a great question there. Um, I, I wouldn't want to be in a dark alley with Bird, man, for sure. Bird? Uh, yeah, Bird. Bird is legit. Bird is legit crazy when it comes to. Uh, you wouldn't want to be caught up in that situation with him. So that's three guys right there. We got the center, we got the power forward, uh, small forward, and James Johnson. Uh, point guard, man, that's a great question. That's a great one. There,
3: they point that's Williams? a great one. We can't have two white guys, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't have, nah, you can't have, and nobody's scared of this. It,
1: light <laughs> there's too much light in the alley, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's a great question, man. I, I'm trying, I'm, I'm gonna have to think a little GP? bit. Longer on GP, GP, we going GP. He was what? older, like, he would talk to you, like, he the way he would talk to you would make you run for fear, but, like, he never would, like, do anything to you. So, that was the thing, man. Let me, uh, I'm i going to ponder that. Jason Capono. That's a good one there.
3: Jason, we'll come back to it. Brian <laughs> Grant. We'll come back at the end Jason of the show. Capone, oh, does Karan, does Karan Butler make that? Tough juice? That's shooting guard, shooting guard. Yeah, it's Quran yeah. or um, is, is, or other. Can we do better than Quran? I wish lay or um. I gotta ask Evan Cohen this question because Evan loves going deep into heat history. That would be fun for him.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you know what, Keith Askins, man. Keith Askins would do anything, boy. I mean, he would like <laughs> he would be one that would just. I mean, he would cut you. He would. He would. He would bite you. You know, what I mean, he would kick you. He would do a whole bunch of stuff. He was a junkyard dog, man. So Keith Askins would have a, a mean spot on that team and now we just got to come up with a point
3: guard. got to... Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, to, to come
1: up with a point guard. Okay, we'll come back to that. definitely
3: have to come Carlos Arroyo. A, yeah. Brian, tweet that I'm out. I'm Brian, have ca- have Lose. people. You know, I've heard stories I'm, of Carlos Arroyo I'm, in Kendall playing at Olympic Park, bodying people up, uh-huh. telling them to get big. Just like random random weekends in the summer.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, he does. I'm, he does. I'm not a That's
2: basically He's the same like size
3: as all of them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But that's how the Heat signed him, though. I mean, when he, was out, when he came back to the Heat uh, during that, uh, he was on that, I think he was on that first team of the Big Three era uh, yep. as a backup point guard. He was in training camp. No, he was and, a starter. You know, the, he was a starter. Okay, he was a starter then, yeah. Um, but when he, he got to the team the year before that, I think, or somewhere around there. Yeah, the year before he was there. the backup. Yeah, he was, he was playing in Kendall, man. He was, he was playing pickup ball, and um, you know, that's basically, he came to a workout right after playing uh, you know, street <laughs> ball. And that's how he uh, pretty much made the team from that
3: point. Mike, what's he more Miami than Kendall? It. What's more Miami than Kendall?
1: <laughs>
3: Hialeah. Ah, Alex, Alex is saying like, Hialeah because
2: you're from Hialeah. Mike, how wrong is he? He like thinks Kendall is the heart of Miami. It like, is,
3: dude. That's where the no. that's where the Miami like people that were born in this city. Most of us, I think, are born in Kendall now.
2: No, no, no. Most of the people who were born in Miami moved to Kendall to get the hell out of Miami. Like that's the that's yeah. what you don't understand. Like Kendall yeah. is people yeah. like who do not want to live in real Miami anymore, so they moved to Kendall. Now this is real like, Miami. That is not Absolutely. real Miami. It's real Miami. If you ain't in Opa you ain't in real Miami. Leave me alone about it. <laughs>
1: so hey both of them man I, you know what's funny is that is that when i was in broward uh i was right in uh miramar so i was in i had to go through obelaka to get downtown to get over to 95 and then my last four years when i bought my house down in uh cutler bay i had to go through kendall and go down to palmetto and all of that so I, i'm familiar with all of that day man 305 all the way up to 904 i mean 954 i'm familiar with the whole landscape so it's crazy
2: mike you have to have you have to have a really good ud story like, what is your best Udinas Haslam homeboy like Miami to the to the bone story that you can tell us,
1: man? Um, I, you know, I, I'm gonna be honest because I, I want to be transparent, man, and, and tell you the first thing that came to mind was the, <laughs> the story when I'm gonna tell you the bad and then I'm gonna tell you the good. The, the story when he was driving on the uh, uh, man, I forgot what it was oh, the one shit. that cut across, gratin- cut across. Rodney, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's my, so we, we get the we get to practice and, and we get the police report and uh, the word that, you know, UD's vehicle was stopped. And, uh, you know, it was UD's vehicle, no question about it, but his boy took the rap for having the drugs in the car. And how do you avoid, you know, if you're not charging either one of you, but it's basically possession is the vehicle. How does it? How does that charge not stick to the person who the vehicle is registered to? So that's how that's how, that's how bad Ud is, man. He could get out of that charge, and, and it got stuck on his boy. The other one uh, was the one you just mentioned, man. When somebody tried to rob his house, realized it was him, um, and, and said, "You know what? That's all right." And I, I ain't about that life there. But but to see Udonis go from go from that to how proud he was when I saw him. Uh, opened up his first Subway restaurant, um, you know, right there off of 95, man, um, where the uh, 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 Dave & Buster's is. is in that same plaza right there off of 95. Um, When he opened that Subway restaurant and really started to put his life into life after basketball perspective, he saw his son, uh, Josiah, growing up and getting bigger and bigger, and he knew that, look, I'm not going to be the basketball player for the Miami Heat forever. i got to start laying a foundation and a legacy. Um, that told you that, that, you know, Udonis, man, he went through some things. And, and I remember being with him, uh, you know, when his, when his stepmother died, died of cancer and how much that rocked the entire team, not just Udonis, because everyone saw, man, this guy is tough as nails, but he's also vulnerable for, for something like this to happen. And so to have the losses that he's had in his life to become the man that he's become and the father figure that he's become and the businessman that he's become. I mean that's 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 where he is the true role model at man. The uh, the tough guy stuff only goes so far. But the fact that he put his life together uh to have a 20, 30, 40, 50 year legacy, uh generational wealth, man. That UD be right there.
3: Mike, I have a question because I think on Levitard they've told the story uh but I don't think Dan was able ever able to confirm it. Is it true that during um Eudonis's grandmother's funeral that uh, when Riley and, and people from the organization went, that he put his boys to have guard Riley's car because it was a nice car and not the best of neighborhoods. Is that story true? <laughs> no, it's like, is that story true? Because, like, that would be a really cool moment of, like, you know, Riley, you know, unafraid goes into this place, leaves his car, whatever, because I'm here to be with Udonis because he means a lot to me. And UD's like, no, we, you know, boy, you, you guys stay guard.
1: You know what? I I wouldn't, I would question that story only because I I attended for a brief time, the church that uh, his mother was, his his mother was, uh, they had this service at. Um, I know that church facility. I've been there multiple times. It's a gated, you know, sort of structure there. And here's the other thing that, that has to make you a little bit skeptical of that story. Ty Riley isn't the only one pushing a nice whip at that funeral. You know what I'm mean? saying? <laughs> I mean, the whole he screamed was there. So I'm assuming he wouldn't have had the nicest car. So his boys would have had to guard multiple cars if that was the case. So, but I will tell you this, though. One of the funniest stories is that after he got married, he tied the knot with Faith, uh, his wife. Their walk-off song, when they walked away from the podium, was Tupac and Snoop's two of America's Most Wanted. Ain't nothing but a gangster oh, party. That's how they walked off the stage from their wedding. Legend. With that. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> After they the ride, they started playing that one. Well, Mike,
2: Mike, that's actually a good segue to one of the reasons we wanted you on because we are a bunch of um, disciples at the altar of Riley, and yeah. you're one of these guys who does not necessarily... I mean, it's not like you don't have respect for Riley, but you don't necessarily worship Riley. Um, um Kind of give us your take on how Riley has approached the last few summers and uh, just because uh, I, I really feel like you're super objective when it comes to this. I think we have really we we put on those fan glasses when whenever we look at what Riley is doing and we always feel like yeah. he has a master plan coming from the outside. What do you see?
1: You know, I, I and I do have the utmost, utmost respect for Pat Riley, and, you know, I admire him probably even more from afar now because of the structure that he runs the organization with. I've covered probably half the teams, almost, you know, at, at least a third of the teams in the league uh, pretty intimately, you know, over my time covering the NBA uh, and, and with ESPN. And it's unique, man. Popovich has it. Uh, Pat Riley has it. Um You know, there was a time at at one point when when, uh, Danny Ainge was was back with Doc Rivers and they had it. Um, These franchises don't have, I mean, you don't get what you get in Miami anywhere else. And I I get it, man, the the heat. And I've said this, I've accused them of being too buttoned up sometimes. Um, I've accused them of being, you know, a little bit arrogant and and coming across as uh, dismissive, uh, not really ultra friendly with the media, especially the local guys who are there covering them every single day. Um, I've had my differences with them and and I've also covered some of the greatest things and experiences of my life because of them. Um, But, but in terms of Pat Riley, I I feel like the last couple of years to answer your question, um, it's been frustrating for him. I I think, I think what he tried to do uh, was continue to make it about his legacy and about him uh, when he, when he, when he landed LeBron James. And and I think that was the first mistake that Riley made in a long time um, because LeBron James is the lead Pat Riley has all the respect in the world as an executive, but when LeBron James left, it it should have humbled Riley a little bit. Instead it made him even more uh, uh, stronger in his will and stronger in who he felt he was. And I think that that soured also and contributed to the souring between LeBron, I mean, Dwayne Wade and Pat Riley. And so he, it, it went from him pulling together the big three to him having an individual issue with each one of those guys because their pride level rivaled what his pride level was. Um, And and I think what we've seen over the last couple of years, too, is Riley sort of realized that now that Dwayne Wade's come back, now that he's older, you're seeing complete gray-haired Pat Riley now, gray hair and gray-beard Pat Riley now. I think he's starting to um, soften up just a little bit, and, and he wants to put the organization back in the right place. So he ultimately can walk away and leave it, and leave Nick and and and, and uh, you know the guys in the front office in a good spot. So, you know, again, Pat Riley had not made a whole bunch of mistakes. He's he's won a lot of rings, but there are two or three or four mistakes in there that I'm sure he he wishes he could get back.
3: There's four years on Deion Waiters' contract. That's a huge mistake.
1: you know, what? That's that's a, you know, I, I thought when when Riley doubled down on his current roster uh, last year. I think he felt like he could turn those assets into tradable pieces because no one had like an egregious contract. They were all sort of manageable. Um, No one would get offended uh, by what they are. And then I think when when some of those role players started to underachieve uh, this season, it made the contracts look a lot worse than what they even were. Waiters hadn't even been playing. I think if Riley knew Dwayne Wade was coming back or potentially could come back, that's one contract he certainly would have let walk. Um, The Kelly Olynyk contract. You scratch your head at that, but you know you also you know it's not the worst big you know big contract in the world in in terms of that. And then when you talk about Tyler Johnson having that uh, poison pill coming up, that's going to be one that hurts him and it shows what to do with Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, that's the bad one because of the poison pill. But the Hassan Whiteside one is the one that it's going to be the most difficult one probably to part with um, out of all of them.
2: Well, actually, Mike, and I, I want your take on this because we all kind of feel like uh, the Tyler Johnson contract is completely untradable. Uh, same thing with the Hassan contract. But I was listening to Kurt Helan. He was actually on with Curtis and Perk, um, and he was saying that the Tyler Johnson contract is attractive uh, with a lot of GMs around the league because a lot of a lot of GMs think he can play, and even even if he can't, that's a huge expiring deal next summer um yeah. have you heard anything like that or, or do you even think that's viable
1: i, I think it's well i think it's if, if i'm not mistaken it's somewhere around 15 16 million dollars on that on that 20, five year, right
3: i think 20 oh it's
1: wow 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 it's wow it's
3: 19.3 so yeah
1: yeah It gets traders about... a 50
3: percent trade ticker
1: yeah, so it's it's basically a mini-max almost in, in terms of a one-year type situation um, for a player of his, of, of, of his experience. Uh, it, it's tough. The only thing he has going for that is that it is expiring. So, yes, if you're a team that's trying to come off of a—but see, that's the thing. The only type of team that would trade for a Tyler Johnson in that scenario is one that wants to give you back a contract that they're not happy with. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. and, and it's probably longer than the one that uh, that you're going to be taking back in Tyler. So, you know, uh, he's a role player. I mean, he, he's not a certified starter in this league yet. I, I love his tenacity. I saw him when he came out in summer league and made the team. Uh, I remember his first dunk uh, with a heat <laughs> practice jersey on in the Orlando summer league. I remember. I remember you know, that too. I asked him about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, it was one of those deals where, you know, it, it, and, and what made the Tyler Johnson contract worse in retrospect was that it came during the same summer where you were haggling with Dwayne Wade over essentially three million dollars. Mike, you know what Dwayne I mean Dwayne so wanted the Tyler, third year. But Dwayne walked
3: they Dwayne wanted yeah. the third year at twenty million dollars. And then they gave Tyler the those two years on the back end for nineteen. And and they're mad right. at me because I've been on the screen.
2: Mike, no no I'm not even mad at Gianni. I'm mad at Mike for for <laughs> <Yeah>. for <laughs> For bringing Dwayne Wade into this conversation, we have been pushing back against Gianni about this bad take for two years. I hate that, co- and you Mike, I've never the hated anything more in sports. this terrible take. You open the door to it,
3: Mike. Thanks I'm saying, listen, man. if if Dwayne Wade never leaves, they don't pay Tyler. If they give Dwayne the third year that he wanted a twenty million dollars, they're done with it this year or next year, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Dion Waiters is never a member of the Heat, and Tyler Johnson's right. a net. And then they have This is bad radio. It's bad radio. It's a radio I want to. And and if we're gonna go
1: that far and if we're gonna play the retrospect game here, and if you have to give Dwayne Wade that extra year, you're probably gonna cost yourself having to sign Hassan Whiteside. (laughs) Because he might have bolted because you would have made Dwayne a priority ahead of Hassan, who needed to be a priority at that point. And Dwayne, part of Dwayne's issue was that hey man, you're trying to take care of Kevin Durant. Who's not going to come here? And then, you know, Hassan Whiteside, who just got here fifteen minutes ago, uh, before me. So, you know, it, it was. It, so, if you did it the other way around, it just went for the legacy play. If you would have just went with the Kobe Bryant legacy situation uh, uh, with Blaine Wade, you probably would have avoided having to do all these other contracts that we're talking about now that seem to be difficult contracts to deal with for the Heat.
3: <laughs> I'll take you one step further because um, mm-hmm. I know if Gian- Gianni was having a debate with Boston fans. How close? Could the heat of gone of getting Horford in that same summer?
1: Um uh, you know what I, I think once once uh, cause I thought Durant was going to go to Boston. I, I really did. i thought I thought if anybody had a shot to get him outside of Golden State, it was going to be Boston. and I, I still think to this day that he would have gone to Boston before he would have gone back to Oklahoma City. Um, but once he decided, once his decision was made, Horford got there pretty quickly. Horford wasn't going back to Atlanta, no question about it. Um, I, I'm not sure if Horford would have come to Miami um, at the time. Boston seemed to have more going for him um, at that particular point. And you got to also remember, it wasn't like Dwayne Wade was making free agency, free agency recruiting calls for you at that time. All of these veterans and all of these uh, league-established guys are looking at Miami and saying, man, if Dwayne Wade is going through that there, how am I going to go into that situation? Uh, so Dwayne had a lot of clout when it came to his his beef with uh, with what was going on with Miami at the time. And I think it hurt both sides ultimately.
2: So do you think some of the things that he'd have done since then have repaired that re- that reputation around the league where – for it felt like for a while Riley had completely lost his touch, but then you came off of last season and all these guys are talking about heat culture. Deion Wade is writing articles. James Johnson looks like he wants to get heat culture tattooed on his forehead. Like <laughs> Dwayne Wade is back. He's getting – I, Dwayne Wade is getting standing ovations around the league and I think it's because yeah. he's in, in a Heat uniform. Not because he, not yeah. just because he's Dwayne Wade. It, him in a Heat uniform is getting those standing ovations. So do you think that has repaired some of Riley's reputation?
1: No, I mean, I think Dwayne was, you know, it, it doesn't matter what uniform Dwayne is in. Um, I think he's going to get the respect. Uh, I do think it just seems right and people wanted this. this. This breakup should have never happened. And I think both men saw that, th- that they were wrong for certain things in it. And I think people were cheering more along the fact that it was symbolic of two men who are iconic Hall of Fame figures in this league working it out. Because you never see it work out to that degree in a lot of ways before a guy's career is over with. Um, and, but in terms of Pat Riley losing his touch, I, I, you know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. I would just say Pat is always one summer away from a blockbuster-type move. What I will say, though, is that he needs a contemporary star to help him get it done now. Because again, Pat Riley, Pat Riley's, it, it, it two or three generations have, have come and gone now since he was the heyday with the Lakers, since everybody knew who Pat Riley was. I mean, Pat Riley an executive now that everybody respects, but he doesn't have that personal touch and connection with guys who can say, you know what? Uh, I grew up watching your Lakers teams. That doesn't work anymore. That generation was LeBron's generation and, and, and Chris Bosh's generation. Now you're talking about a new set of guys who are looking at different, you know, a different set of uh, executives out there now, and everyone's looking at, you know, the way Golden State does it. Everyone's looking at Demarcus Cuban and, you know, being outspoken. Everyone's looking at, you know, sort of how LeBron James is is leading the way as a as a, a pseudo executive and a player. So I think players of this generation respect the player power moves more so than the executive power moves, and that's why I think Pat Riley needs to come together with. Uh, sort of an iconic group of guys like a Dwayne Wade and maybe let, allow Dwayne Wade to help him bring that next superstar to Miami if, 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 it, if it can work out that way.
3: Mike, I know you got to go. Uh, last question before we get you out because uh, Ethan has told me the story how y- you were the only one that had the fortitude. Mike Wallace was the only one brave enough to ask Eric Spolstra following the LeBron James bump in Dallas. You can, can, you give, can you give us that story on the way out? Because Ethan Ethan Skolnick wasn't asking, you know, Tim Reynolds nope. wasn't, Ira wasn't going to ask, but Mike Wallace came to save the media and did some hard-hitting journalism.
1: I, I did, and, I, and I'll give you a little bit of a background of that, too. I won't claim total credit for it because at that time I was working for ESPN, so I didn't have the same deadline pressures that Ethan and some of the other writers had because they were busy filing their stories at the time. Um, And they didn't have a lot of uh, initial questions to even ask or even get back there. But the bottom line was that the the way we were seated in Dallas, we were directly across from the Heat's bench on the floor. And, you know, when I saw how that timeout was called and how Eric Sposter shot out right directly towards LeBron James, I actually thought that they were going to have a conversation at about the free throw line because they were, they were beelining for one another. And it looked like, it looked like uh, Eric Spolstra thought about it, took an extra half step and walked sideways to try to avoid LeBron. LeBron didn't break stride. LeBron went straight at it. And so I knew it was going to be a collision. I just didn't think – I thought – actually, I didn't know it was going to be a collision. I thought it was going to be two men stopping one step short of a collision. But neither one of them stopped and neither one of them said anything, and then they just you know, collided. And I knew at that time Spolstra was having some issues with uh, trying to get that team to defend in a certain way. Um, LeBron was having some issues with trying to get Spolstra to understand that he knew what he was doing. And it became one of those situations where I just asked after the game. I knew it was a pivotal point in the game. They lost the game. Um, You know, they were struggling. I think it was uh, 8-7 and at that point or 9-8. and And that locker room was dire. And, you know, frankly, (laughs) Spolstra, and if I remember this correctly, Spolstra and the coaching staff was basically locked out of the locker room. Um Because they had a players' only meeting behind, you know as it was going on. so that was extended time out there in front of the, uh, with the media. So I just said, "Look, man, I, I noticed the bump. Um, what was behind that? I can't even remember how I asked the question. And uh, you know, Spo being Spo, if I remember correctly, he tried to dismiss it and say he wasn't aware of what happened or anything like that. But they both knew. And they both understood what that meant. But I also think that that move right there and the way Pat Riley backed Eric Spostra after that, uh, put LeBron James in line. Uh, to know that he wasn't going to just run roughshod uh, into this organization and take over. And I think that incident right there may have fortified Eric Spolstra for who he is today and what he's going to become in terms of being one of the greatest coaches uh, that goes down in the history of this game when it's all said and done.
3: From from 15 wins to bump gate, Mike Wallace, the complete heat story. Uh, Mike, thanks so much, man, for coming (laughs) on, giving us the time. It was a lot of fun. we got to have you back, man.
2: Mike, Mike, next hey, time we need more yeah. Chalmers stories. We, we need, need more Chalmers
3: and stories. We need 45
2: stories. minutes of Chalmers next time. All
3: right, let's do that. Let's do that for sure,
2: man.
1: For sure. No question about that.
3: Take care, man. Thanks so much. Take that for data. Brian, that's the producing right there. This week on the Five Reasons Podcast, we're joined for another Heat Stories edition by the coach, Tony Fiorentino.
1: Pat was always looking for motivational things. So we go in the locker room, a little small locker room in Detroit, and you got you got a picture this. Here you got the coaches in their suits. Pat Riley's in his shirt, took his jacket off, and Tim Hardaway has his foot in an ice bucket with water. So Pat takes the bucket from Tim and he says to the guys, you guys who wants to put their head in this bucket? He says, "Zo, you going to put your head in the bucket?" So Zo goes, "I'm not doing that, Tim." Tim says, "No, I'm not doing that." Pat kneels down and he puts his head in the bucket. And I'm telling you, it is the greatest coach in the history of, of sports and I can't tell you how long he had his head under there. We thought he we thought he drowned. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> oh he lifts God. his
0: head up. He pulls his, he pulls his hair back and he goes, "Ah, isn't winning great." Subscribe to the 5 Reasons podcast
3: on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on the first ever edition of the Pitch Invasion podcast, we talk to the SI soccer writer, Grant Wall. Beckham has been so publicly involved with it that I don't think either side wants it to fail and not happen. But they see the demographics of Miami and how they've changed in the last 10 to 15 years and how it's even more of a a South American community than ever. That theoretically should translate into success for a soccer team. It's been a chore for a long time. But at this point, I certainly think it's going to happen. But it's never as easy as you think it's going to be. Subscribe to the Pitch Invasion Soccer Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Man, I could have talked to him for so much longer. I mean, we had... I wanted to ask him a Birdman story. Brian, do you still you have the Izzy Birdman story? Because that's a I had great a story. I'm going to up, but <clears throat> sorry. Not oh, professional. That's fine. $2. We can't afford that. man. He... <laughs> One time I was in there, and um, this was last year, actually. I think it was the beginning of last year or late in the previous season. But he was clearly feeling pretty comfortable with his time there. And it was after a game. He's all dressed, ready to go. And he's got some sort of hunting knife on him. I don't know. Knives, what? I don't know. Yeah, and so he kind of just like, I forget to who it was. It was one of the younger players. He kind of just like sort of very discreetly like kind of pulled it out and
0: like threatened him real quick and it then slid like- it right back in his pocket. Something like that, right? And uh, I looked around because it was about, you know, 10, 15 media members in there. I looked around and i was like, nobody <laughs> else saw that?
3: Okay. And so uh, I told somebody else about it and they're just like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. What a time, man! Those big three years. Birdman's pulling knives on teammates. LeBron is bumping into his damn coach. Dude, the world was falling. Fuck
2: all that. Rafer Alston was being chased by the fucking mob. All right, like we that, brought news today, <laughs> man. Know, that is the story of all stories. Like I didn't want to keep pressing him on it because it's it sounded kind of dangerous.
3: That's uh, serious. But yeah,
2: I'm pretty sure there were some Haitians in Miami ready to kill for Austin, and I'm all like, up. <laughs> Did you hear the way he used
3: Jordan-esque? Yes. That was the most <laughs> jork way I've ever heard the word Jordanesque used before. <laughs> Jordanesque
2: as a means to say this guy is a gambling addict and, and the mob was coming to get his ass. That is amazing. I mean,
3: like, that guy absolutely, totally disappeared off the face of the planet mid-NBA playoff push. Like the Heat traded for him to make a playoff push. I mean that that team was like on the cusp of a three or four seed. Like that team was like trying to win stuff.
2: <laughs> and that dude just just fucking disappeared. Was the Gerald Green just... thing the bad sequel? <laughs> yes. So, dude, Gerald how about how about Gerald tools.
3: Green playing meaningful minutes? Gerald Green and Nick Young playing meaningful minutes between two leviathan of teams. Shoot you, can't, shoot.
2: you can't get Flocka in Houston. That's the problem.
3: <laughs> Bet your ass you can. He'll find it. <laughs> Josh got at
2: every game. He he'll be fine. He plays he plays better on Flocka, obviously.
3: Because I mean preseason, Gerald Green. Preseason, uh, Gerald 20, Green was 20-40. all up in
2: that Flocka, and he was killing it. Second, he went to the hospital. He came back. He sucked.
3: saved. Oh, we should have asked him about. Man, I'm telling you, like. A guy like Mike, and like he's been he's been with the team for so long that he knows like all these great stories. The uh, the Antoine Walker thing, I I've heard it before. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, he got he robbed, got robbed at he... his house, duct taped to a chair. That's <laughs> alright. It's funny vision.
2: And as fat as he was, that's a lot of duct tape. <laughs> <laughs>